Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. This week's episode has a trigger warning for potentially upsetting subject matter. Check the show notes at www.bitchesoncomics.com to find out more. Flinor, and this is my favorite podcast. Which is on comics. <laughs> I'm Sarah Century, and this is my third favorite podcast. <laughs> you burnt! You burnt, bitches on comics! You burnt! I have owned myself again. <laughs> and me along with you. Rough stuff. It's kind of hard to Rough. be my friend. <laughs> no respect, like Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> from Syl on Twitter. I think it would be cool to hear y'all talk about some of Joss Whedon's comics, like Astonishing X-Men or Runaways. I think y'all would have a lot of great insights and criticisms on those series. Well, we agree with you. (laughs) And thank you for the question. Yes. So if you've been listening along for a while now, then you probably heard our episode where we talked about X-Factor. And the question was phrased, is X-Factor the worst thing to happen to the X-Men? Because we are us, we made a list of other terrible things that happened to the X-Men, and one of them was Joss Whedon. Ah, yes. (laughs) It's meant cheekily, but is also factual, I think. (laughs) It is a both-and situation. Let's start there with the Astonishing X-Men, because you've read all those. Yes. I just want to say that I was one of Joss Whedon's first haters, and I was (laughs) well above the curve on that one. (laughs) You are welcome, everybody. There was definitely about a 10-year period where I felt like I could not say that I did not like Joss Whedon's work because people would destroy me. It is not that way anymore, for he has been a dweeb and a jerk. And not evolved in the slightest. Yeah, we all know about the Wonder Woman script. That wasn't okay. And we all know about how leaving the Batgirl franchise essentially just cost— There's no story. Yeah. I'm sorry, what what do you— but there's all the... It just proves that you don't like Batgirl, so maybe you stop writing teen girls, dude, in your mm. 50s. So I have always been kind of his number one hater. And not that that bothers him because <laughs> he is fine, you know? So Because I feel like sometimes when I criticize, especially white dudes, everybody wants to jump in and say, yeah. well, why are you being so critical? And it's I barely criticize things. I'm yeah. almost always positive about my conversations about comics. I just haven't ever really enjoyed Joss Whedon's output. And I had a lot of things that I kept to myself for a long time about his output. I liked Buffy whenever I was a teenager and everything, but I didn't enjoy Firefly. I immediately was, why so racist? (laughs) Pretty much in the beginning. And then I also remember whenever Astonishing X-Men hit the stands. And that was a time whenever I was not in an emotionally strong place to be able to handle a Joss Whedon run on Astonishing X-Men that everybody loved. 
to me, I hated how he wrote Kitty Pride because uh, I felt like uh. she just becomes Buffy, kind of. All of her dialogue is the same as Buffy. I can't stand that. It's the same with the Quentin Tarantino movies. I can't handle it because every character talks the same, and that bothers me so much. You can get away with it if you do everything else right and only in certain circumstances. Then you find these people who everyone's like, Quentin Tarantino is just like the best writer. Yeah. It's like, he's just no. writing himself forever. But also like best writers write characters who are people. Yeah. Not, you know, the sexy lamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the you. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are both guys that people love to get really mad at me for not enjoying but I don't really enjoy them Joss Whedon on the X-Men to me just I hated how Kitty Pride got dragged back into heterosexuality (laughs) to me is how that all read was there was no reason to pair her with Colossus again that was just such an old story already and even to this day she's still you know in the closet or whatever lots of feelings about that so I didn't enjoy that aspect of it so like the prime love story other than Scott and Emma Yeah. Scott and Emma, I liked as a relationship. I didn't like the fact that he was in real life cheating on his wife with the sexy lady or whatever. And then that was, you know, Cyclops cheats on his wife and then starts being a cool dude and all of that kind of stuff to me is just gross support. I hate the way that he just constantly pits Emma and Kitty against each other. I hate that. And it's like, I get that they would have some conflict. And I'm actually very... I feel like people sometimes are like, well, what do you want to happen? Everyone's just going to be nice to each other. I'm like, no, they could have conflict over real things. Yeah. Instead of just being dicks to each other because they're the only two women who really have lines. Yeah. So we have to pit them against each good other. Good God, you know. And later they become friends. That's what's happening yeah. now in Marauders. They're actually having a much more friendly relationship. Yeah. I didn't like the characterization. I didn't like the scenes where it's Wolverine just thinking the word beer I think that he just went for so many cheap shots and that there are so many things that were just lowest common denominator for me as an X-Men fan who's been reading for years and years and years. And we had just come off of uh, Morrison's run too. So there was a lot of new ideas that run has its ups and downs, but there was a lot of new ideas at least. And there was changes and it was kind of exhilarating. Whereas Astonishing X-Men to me was just somebody who didn't, I don't know, just didn't see the basic approach on all of it. Yeah. Like, it was all like, I'm going to sort of take, like, (laughs) maybe what someone wrote in a Wikipedia article, and that's, like, the background that this character has to me. Totally. That's how it feels. Everybody feels really like, oh, look, Joss Whedon's playing with his X-Men dolls. Yeah, and I think that he had good concepts. There's a lot of good story concepts in that run. So that's kind of the thing. Also Lockheed. I love Lockheed. Of course. Every single time Joss Whedon shows up, I'll be... You know, oh, that's a pretty good idea, you know, for a story. But then once it gets to the dialogue, I honestly just kind of, I can't handle it. I I completely agree. I I think that is such a good way of putting it because I think the reason I do like Whedon properties is that the concepts are really good and interesting. But then he just never takes them further. Mm -hmm. And he can't let go of them and let someone else take them further. Like, why did... Why did he need to be writing Batgirl in the first place? Yeah. He shouldn't have been. What about all the women who grew up watching Buffy who are filmmakers now? Yeah. Why aren't they writing Batgirl? And that's what I feel like is hard with Whedon. Also, you know, not very good to his partner, which I cannot forgive. I also like the the Whedon run on Runaways, but mm-hmm. not for anything Whedon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because I love Xavin. Yeah. And I think Xavin gets to sort of express his and her gender identity to some degree 
But there are points where characters say homophobic things or transphobic things to examine about, oh, you just became a woman to get Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds into bed. Right. And it's like, ah, uh, that feels a little bit like maybe Whedon's problem. Like maybe yeah. that was something that he thinks about. Yeah. Non-binary trans people, gender fluid folks. So just because that's the straight guy thing, right? Exactly. It's like the shitty straight guy approach to things is to be like, well, if I could do that, I would totally get with lesbians. And you're just like, cool, dude, gross. Yeah. And Thanks. that's whack. Like, yeah. Thanks for that great insight into yeah. what an asshole you are. Being a lesbian is fun because of dudes like that for sure. <sighs> So annoying. Who are like so mean to all of the straight women that I know or whatever and just don't even pay attention to them. And then they like know that you're a lesbian. So they're in your shit all the time. And because they can't connect with people in a normal way. (laughs) So it just has to be, oh, here's this challenge for me, you know? And it's just like gross, 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 gross. You are explicitly excluded from this. That is why you're interested. And that is fucked. Yeah. Anyway, it's totally fucked. I'm not saying that Whedon does that, but I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not that saying he, he doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> Especially since the first kiss between Tara and Willow on Buffy was literally just because Xander was having a sexy dream about them and yeah. it doesn't even show it. It shows Xander's reaction to it. Yeah. So to me, that was, I get that Willow and Tara was great and did a lot for a queer fanship, but I still don't like how it was approached. And so I completely agree. I think that that's. A, number one problem. I'm rewatching Buffy right now. I can't believe how important Xander is. My God. And it's like, why? I know. Name one reason he's important to any of this. I know. He is horrible. Every time Buffy says anything, he, for the first two seasons. Slut shames her. He slut shames her or he makes a reference to how he wants to fuck her. Yeah, always. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And he's like, oh, you, you like, let me down and all of this. And, you know, I. Yeah, how dare you? You let a dead thing inside you is like a literal line he says to her. Yeah, he's gross. He's disgusting. He takes up so much space on that show. So much space. And he has no powers. He does nothing. He's the most boring fuck. He is just. Joss Whedon putting himself in a fucking story with strong-ass women. The end. Mm. And what does he do? He fantasizes about the lesbians, and he fantasizes about the woman who literally never gives him the time of day in the entire series. But then he gets a goddamn hottie and treats her like shit. And Anya is so much better than him. So, so much better than him. First, we have... Cordelia is so much better. Cordelia is the truth incarnate, man. I fucking love that girl. And then he just, because he slept on the whole Willow situation forever. And then whenever she has a boo. Yeah. He's so gross. He's so gross. He's my very least favorite. (laughs) He also, like, Dawn gets such a bad rap for, like, helping demons. Yeah. And Willow gets such a bad rap for being really good at magic and it being dangerous. Xander literally decides to manipulate a witch into making a love spell for him that causes every woman who exists who sees him to go into a murderous rage, which the whole setup, sexist, binary bullshit, fuck you, Whedon. Then at the end, the musical episode is because Xander said, I wanted to lighten the mood. So I thought maybe this would be a fun demon. You live on the hell mouth. You... <clears throat> <laughs> I'm so mad at Xander right now, which is a great segue to the Buffy comics. Yeah. You will feel this about Xander the entire time. Mm-hmm. Great things that happen in the Buffy comics. Buffy explores her sexuality. Right. I forgot about that. In a way that I think is stupid and fucked up and they handle it poorly, but at least she sleeps with a girl. 
Mm-hmm. And then she's like, no, I'm straight after all. And it's like, fuck, God damn you, Whedon. This is what you did with Willow, but in the opposite way. Instead yeah. of being like, Willow, you're bisexual. It's okay to be who you are. It's like, no, Willow, I'm gay now. And not that people don't have that journey, and I respect the people who do, but then he doubles down and does it with Buffy. Right. I'm like, okay, you just don't get it. Like, you just don't believe my people exist. Right. Like, clearly. But the Buffy comics are so fun because Faith comes back, and there's all that sexual tension. Mm-hmm. And I think that the TV- Faith is who she should have hooked up with. I mean, we all know that. If Those you wanted to have a right good there. experience, then you should have gone to Faith. Faith will Hot. treat you right. I am so into Faith. Seriously. So oh Every God. person is. She's so beautiful. But also, she's obsessed with Buffy, and Buffy is obsessed with her. Just hook up. Girlfriends. For the love of God. Slayer. Give everybody asses. else a break. <laughs> yeah, <up>. seriously. <laughs> Riley can't handle you, girl. No, Leave him alone. God. And stop feeling guilty about it. Yeah, gross. Uh, yeah, so then the Buffy comics are season eight, so they pick up, like, where the series ends. They are, in some ways, amazing. Yeah. The colors are really cool. Yeah. They, they chose really great artists. Mm-hmm. Whedon stops writing... As the lead, I think, after volume four. Yeah, currently Jordi Belair is on yeah. the book, and that's really excellent. Yeah. And and the storylines change, and they go in new directions. You get to see Oz again, and Oz, like, finally has his shit together, and he's really cool. And then Dawn becomes a giant, and then Xander's trying to tap that. Oh, God. And it's like, in my head canon, she squishes him. Yeah. Because he's so small and insignificant, no one would miss him. I just don't understand why there's an entire character who exists just to creep on every woman that crosses his path. (laughs) That should not be a character that exists in a feminist show. The fact that it gets so much praise for being feminist and yet Xander still exists as a concept in the show to me makes it very questionable because there's great things about Buffy. Obviously there's things that I really love. Tara to me is one of the best characters that was oh from God. 90s television. Totally. I love Tara and I they love never, Anya. And they never reach her capacity They as never a do anything with her. It's so depressing. She also worked on the comic Tales of the Slayers or whatever that was. So that's really cool too. Mm-hmm. Amber Benson is yeah. rad. Yeah. Tales of the Slayers is really fun too because it like, you know, it's always piecing together this Slayer lore across yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, also, the Frey comic, which is set 400 right. years in the future, is also pretty fun. Again, I'm like a sucker for a sequel. So I would right. watch something well past when it's good. I'll be like on season eight of a TV show. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I just want the story to keep going. And everyone's like, that show should have ended three seasons ago. So I get it. Like, right. to some degree, if you don't want to like feel nostalgic, don't read these. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I think if you didn't have the connection to the Slayer stories, you'd be like, okay. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. But Willow shows up in Frey, and Frey shows up in like Buffy, and so yeah. it's it's pretty fun. Frey is pretty fun, I think. Yeah, and I like her purple I, that's hair the thing too. is, I don't always hate Whedon, but when I do, I extra hate him. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: I never love Whedon. Right. There's never a time that I'm like I can relax and just enjoy this. Right. I feel like I have to have my queer dar, my femdar up high, and be like, be ready for him to make a rape joke. Right. I mean, the fact that he worked a rape joke into the Avengers. Yeah. Like, why on earth would a good person say, I call prima nocta? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would he have Loki use a word that means the C word to talk to someone? Like, why do we need that? Yeah. Because 
You're just letting your hatred towards women out? And all you could think to do with Black Widow was to give her a (sighs) ship with Bruce Banner? And then, like, the Red Room, again, taking her back there and making her into, like, a victim. And I completely forget those parts. The part that I did love is whenever she pushes the Hulk into the pit. To me, that was the most on-point thing that Black Widow did in any of the movies. For sure. She is totally the person who you're going to say, I love you, we're getting out of here. And she's going to go to work (laughs) into the pit and say, come back when you can handle this situation. I just got chills when you said that because I, I think her. of that as a defining moment for her too in the film. That I mean, people were just, oh, so mad about it. Well, how dare you do that to Bruce? Guess what? Bruce deserves it. And also- She's she a was, fucking assassin. She's Shut assassin. your goddamn mouth. She's going to help her friends. She's not going to leave. She's the best. And also, she's literally a spy, an assassin. She's a turncoat. She is literally trained- to do what must be done to get the mission met. Regardless. Stop being mad that a woman can be cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stop being mad that women aren't all crying in rooms and, like, fawning over fucking Captain America. Yeah. Although I do, I like like their flirting a lot. I kind of ship that. I mean, Like, I ship it for a night. I ship it for two nights. Even in the comics, they have a great flirtation. Three nights max. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I'm ready for a week. I could deal with a week between those two. But I mean, vacation. Broken up. You know, like you could do one day, you know, a couple years pass. You know, they know each other for, what, (laughs) 70 70 years? Yeah. You could space it out. Yeah. Hot. I'm into that. Yeah. So the only other one we didn't really talk about was Firefly. Right. Which I have only read, like, some of the free comic book day ones. They look like they're fun if you're into that nostalgia. Sarah's point about the utter racism and you know, the treatment of sex workers, just the list goes on in Firefly is deeply, deeply problematic. Yes, the story of River, the legend of River, fucking cool, fucking interesting. Why has it always got to be shrouded in this other fucking terrible bullshit? Because it's made by Joss Whedon (laughs) and we all just ignore it because we're like Buffy. And it's like, you know what? You don't get a pass from a character you created and wrote a pretty bad movie about. Right. And a pretty great at points if you forget Xander's in it TV show. Yeah. That is us on Joss Whedon. I do want to mention that I very much appreciate Giles and Buffy's mentorship I love relationship. That. It's really powerful. If we're going to say something Thank nice you. about him, we should yeah. definitely talk about that because that actually I actually, actually was actually just rules. thinking about that. I love that on a regular basis in the early seasons, Giles is still trying to prove himself. You know, he's like yeah. trying to put his chest out there and he's like, you need a train. Can you catch where the ball is? Yeah. And he's like, hey, when she her backs to it because she's got a blindfold on. He's like, hey, I got her this time, <laughs> fucking slayer. And he throws the ball. She catches it or slams it into his face or whatever. And he's like, all right, practice is over. See ya. <laughs> Have a good one. And I, I love that connection. It's so genuine. We shouldn't have to be thankful that there's a mentor that doesn't creep on the teen <laughs> oh girl. Oh, my God. But because that actually happens so, so much, often. it is so nice to see a teacher who is just wholesome, steps into a father figure position, does it out of the kindness of his heart, and because he genuinely likes Buffy. Yeah. And because he respects her. He wants to know what's happening in her life all of the time. He loses his job on the Watchers Council because yeah. he has her back. Yeah. He's like, no, fuck you. You think I did things to her because he poisons her on her her birthday, yeah, and her eighteenth birthday because it's like a Slayer rite of passage. Fucking goddamn it! And he's like, I did it, and I shouldn't have. Yeah, I was the one who was wrong. And Buffy has his back, you know, and gets them to pay him his back pay when inevitably she works for the Watchers Council again because they have to to unify against Glory, right? And 
I think that the only thing that I dislike, it just feels so uncharacteristic for Giles. It's from the musical episode. It's when he decides to leave her. Oh, right. Her mother has died. She has died right, and right. come back. And he's like, you should be better at raising a 16-year-old. Yeah. And I don't understand what Buffy did wrong. It was when because I he it, was trying to break away. And you know how people come up with increasingly desperate reasons to do the thing that they're doing that they yes, have to do? Yes. It's like he, he justifies it by being like, you aren't a good parent. But what he was really saying is, I feel like I'm not a good parent. I'm failing you. Exactly. And in some ways he was. Oh, I love that analysis. I hadn't made that connection, Sarah. I love that. Because he does fail her. He literally, by doing the thing that he does next, he fails her. Leaving yeah. her is a failure. Yeah. It directly results in the events of the culmination of that season where Willow is out of control. Yep. Where, which again, we can talk about like, God damn it. Why can't a fucking female character just be powerful as fuck and not blow out because she can't control the power? Man, and you know what though, too, on top of all of it, I think that the thing that made us accept Willow back as a character was the fact that if somebody shot your girlfriend in front of you, you would fucking kill them. And that's, I mean- yeah. I don't know how you could even navigate that grief. Yeah. That is bonkers. Yeah. And the fact that she does retaliate in that way to me was still really believable. I, I completely agree with that. I think I didn't know what the barrier gaze trope was when I saw right. Buffy. And so to me, it was like, given this event taking place, this all makes perfect fucking sense. This event yes. should not occur. This Never. should not be on the yes. show regardless of who you are or what your, your opinion is. The fact is you should not have had Tara die on that show the way that she died. No. That was whack. Absolutely. That was unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. But given that it did happen, Willow did what I think that a lot of us would do, honestly. Are you fucking kidding me? If I had the ability to supercharge myself and avenge the murder of my partner— yeah. Because someone was trying to murder my best friend. Yeah. You best believe. They would all die. Like, I, I don't believe in violence. And I'm like, yeah. that would just be like, I wouldn't even be like, oh, I was violent. I'd be like, that seems like a natural outcome for your behavior. Yes. Sir. Yeah. That you end up flayed. That seems right. I talk about, yeah, being a pacifist and being anti-violent, but I am not so anti-violent that I divorce myself from the reality of the fact that if you lose somebody in that capacity, that's the most painful thing that you could go through. And so when you're in that level of pain, there is no way that you are making the same decisions. Like I would make in a courthouse, you know, Absolutely. like if, if I was a judge, I would give compassion as much as possible. Absolutely. However, if you are in a situation where somebody does something that is so evil and they do it right in your face and it costs you something that you really, truly love. And this is the second woman he's murdered. Yeah. Like, Warren is unrepentant. A season earlier, he creates a sex doll that is sentient. Yeah. That he can effectively assault yeah. over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she will ask for more, but she has no ability to consent. Yeah. Buffy kicks his ass and is like, do not fuck with me. Yeah. And what does he do? Fucks he with, fucks with her. And also kills Tara. And <laughs> kills the best his character. girlfriend. He mm-hmm. kills his girlfriend. He kills Tara. If I'm Willow, I'm like, women aren't safe around this person. Yeah. And I'm sorry. And there's nothing- I value women a hell of a lot more than Warren. And you're in a situation where you don't feel like justice would be served because hell it no. hasn't been. And he 
isn't able to be held accountable for the things that he's done. He's dealing with something that doesn't exist inside of human law, right? Yeah. Like, we don't have laws for how to deal with this. It's the same reason Buffy can slay vampires, because there are no laws that deal with vampires. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, Willow has to to find justice. And if she can't find justice, she's going to fucking find some vengeance. Yeah. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. I don't know what that has to do with Whedon specifically, other than the fact that he never should have let it happen. It's unacceptable. <laughs> it's just like... This is something that happens all the time. You know, barrier gaze is just, it's tough. Yeah. And it happens for no reason. It happened last year with a major character on a TV, on multiple TV shows. Yeah. It just, it's devastating. And there's just no excuse for it. There isn't. You exist in this world where you can use Google, where you could read about what people are doing. That, mm -hmm. like, around your characters. Stop fucking killing queer characters. There's no reason. Yeah, there's no reason for it. Joss. <laughs> yeah, sorry if you wanted us to say nicer things about Joss Whedon. We said some nice things, but... I think, I think all things considered, given... I mean, we're he pretty literally forgiving. murdered Tara for no reason other than to make lesbians sad. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. I just went back there. You know what? It's fine. We can be mean to Joss Whedon a Exactly. Bit. We gave him a, you come up with good concepts... Let someone else execute them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, stop taking jobs from women. Hey, Sarah. Hey, what? Have you heard that we're going into fiction? Oh, wow. No, this is the first I've heard of that. <laughs> you can't say that every time. <laughs> Everyone's like, well, why is Essie making Sarah agree to all these things on air? <laughs> I have to say it every time. Otherwise, it's not as funny. <sighs> so, our foray into fiction is called Decoded. And what's, what's special about Decoded, Sarah? One story every single day of Pride Month that is going to feature queer creators and a bunch of different subject matter, but it's all going to be genre 
but it's all gonna be totally queer creators. You can't see me, listener, but my jaw has dropped. Just kidding, we knew all about this. Decoded is a story-a-day anthology of queer science fiction, fantasy, and horror by queer authors. Just like Sarah said, we're super excited to be doing this. One of the cool things about it is because it's a small project, we really can sustain it independently and do our thing. There aren't a lot of queer publications out there, and we know that because we both write fiction, and because we've seen the submissions. People are dying for a publication like this, for an opportunity to express themselves for a queer audience. So that means we're going to need your support, because we're going to be selling subscriptions. Heck yeah, we are. If you are a queer writer who has a science fiction, fantasy, or horror story that you'd like to submit for Decoded, you can do so by visiting bitchesoncomics.com. Then, on our menu, just click Submit to Decoded. All the rules and all the fun stuff is all right there. For this week's comic of the week, we have Kismet, Man of Fate. Writer is A. David Lewis. Artist is Noel Tuazon. Colors are by Rob Prunenborgs. Lettering is by Taylor Esposito. Yay! <laughs> Yay! So, Sarah, you were telling me that Kismet is the first Muslim hero, or one of the first? I believe the first, yeah. Um, I don't think that there's ever been something that disproves that. I'm pretty sure that this was the first Muslim superhero, uh, certainly in the U.S. But Yeah, he appeared in Bomber Comics number 1 in 1944, so he's the first superhero who was identified to be Muslim. It's not to say right. they couldn't have been them, but they weren't explicitly so. Yes. And also, once again, when we look at comic book history, how strongly westernized, I guess, it is, mm-hmm. is something that we can never <laughs> take for granted. And especially not when we're talking about a Muslim hero. There might have been Muslim superheroes, and we just don't know sure, about it. because sure. And superhero is like a term that could refer to all kinds of people. I'm totally with you. Yeah, I yes. think it's the first U.S.-based Muslim superhero that was identified to be so. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Dot, 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 because once again, comic history is full of surprises. But they brought this character back pretty recently, it looks like. I think it's uh, 2016, 2018. 2018. So it's later because they definitely talk about Trump like all of the time in this. So this was a really interesting comic. I thought that out of all of the comics I've read lately, this was one that kind of piqued my interest in a lot of ways because it blends politics into the narrative, which is usually something that I find pretty questionable whenever you're using actual images of the president (laughs) and like putting him into this narrative in the way that they do. But obviously, there's nothing that we can overstate about how impactful this presidency specifically was and is on the Muslim community. So the fact that like they are making that commentary and it is such a political text, I think is so fitting for it. And it works so much to its favor in a way that I think is very rare. So I appreciated it a lot and thought that this is the way that you do that right. And it's totally from the perspective of people who are being actively attacked by this administration. So obviously, you know, if you're if you're a Trump fan, don't know why you're listening to this podcast. But also <laughs> don't know why, you know, like why you would be interested in anything I have to say, but super don't know why Same. you'd read Kismet Man of Fate either. But, you know, 
that's kind of the thing is, is like the negative portrayal or I mean the truthful portrayal of this situation was very interesting and the way that it was communicated through a superhero who doesn't want to be a superhero anymore and is kind of backing away because he doesn't understand the point of superheroes. He doesn't like the fact that superheroes are the ones who are focused on or that they're the ones that are supposed to save the day. So he even starts the book by just being like, I don't want to be a superhero anymore. I want to be a member of this community. And he opens it up like that. I have chills. I just have chills. It's so beautiful. I mean, like well, a lot the of the reason stuff I thought so of this beautiful. comic, Sarah, yeah, is is because of a conversation you and I had. We were talking about maybe an article someone had written. Maybe it was an article you wrote. I don't know. And it was about how we choose superheroes to solve problems, so we don't have to solve them ourselves. And so in these these depictions, or we can. That's like one reading of them. You know, we can be really removed from our own culpability and responsibility in the state of the world. And so when I read Kismet Man of Fate, I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what you're talking about. And it's a character grappling with that in the comic panels, which is really cool. Yeah, something that I think is really important is like, yeah, I say, you know, we could use it like that. We have a lot of commentary outside of superhero comics readers who are, you know, people who are just like, well, why wouldn't Superman just fix the world? And it's like, because you can't fix people like that's the problem and so no matter what superman does for us he can't fix our inner worlds (laughs) he can't fix what kind of people go out and commit murder you know he can't Mm -hmm. fix that that's something that's completely outside of his control and so for somebody to say that is kind of like once again you're putting everything on this one person who can do everything but he can't do that you know it's like he's already doing every other thing that he could possibly do for us and you're saying why can't he fix my emotional life as well so I think that that's always an interesting conversation and it's true to a certain extent you know there's people who in real life are just complete jackasses who read superhero comics and we have those conversations all the time where it's like what comics were you reading if you think comics weren't political 20 years ago or something (laughs) you know we have those conversations because it's definitely people who are just kind of putting mute on anything that they don't want to hear and, you know, focusing on exactly what they want to see, which is usually that's where you see like the male power fantasy that we hear so much about, where it's just a bunch of dudes beating up on other dudes or whatever. That's not the superhero comics world that I read, I guess. I mean, I see that part as well, but it's not the extent of it to me. And I always like to look deeper. Kismet Man of Fate is the act of looking deeper, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's this entire comic is just them looking deeper into that and kind of explaining it a little bit and kind of having their hero step away from being the hero. All of those things are super interesting. And I think it's a really significant move, as you were saying, especially at the moment in time where where so many Muslims, all Muslims, are being targeted by this administration and where Kismet is like, well, what am I going to do? Go like, beat him up? Like, that's not going to help anything. So Yeah, because he wants to at first, right? Yeah, like, yeah, he he's does. Just he's just like, like I'm going to go beat this guy up. And then it's like everybody around him goes, all that's going to do is put the focus on you again. <laughs> like, yeah. that's not going to fix anything, but it's going to make you be the focal point of everybody's conversations. You know, it's going to turn into him versus you. There's billions of people who are affected by this person. You know, like, you can't simplify it like that. And he understands and steps back. 
It's amazing. And it's this, I think it represents the shift from individual power to people power. And I think mm-hmm. that that is, it's something that we talk about a lot in organizing circles. It's something we talk about a lot in, in feminism and in queer culture of, of like, we have to work together in our collective power to change things. It's not individuals who can just snap their fingers and change the world. Because as far as we know, superheroes don't exist in the real world. And so to see that represented in a comic and to see a hero really grapple with not just his powers, you know, which I think all all the best stories have heroes doing, and with the responsibility of those powers, you know, great power comes great responsibility and whatnot. But to really say like, oh, to come to a conclusion that says I should not use my powers is very different. Most heroes, you know, come to the conclusion of, I must use my powers right. And of course, their stories were about that. And it makes sense most of the time. And here, it really makes sense. The story is about how do we develop community resilience in the face of an administration that is trying to kill us? That's a very different question. And I think it is so well grappled with in this story. And I just, I love the art too. The art is like so distinct and and beautiful. Do you think it's watercolor? Ah, Interesting. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't be able to say, you know, at this point you can do watercolor via computer. Right. So the style, I guess I would say, is like a watercolor style. Yeah, it's like watercolor-ish, yeah. It's really cool. And his superhero costume is full of stereotypes but they've they've made it seem more organic to who he is in this point it's beautiful it's compelling it's insightful and frankly it's different from anything else i'm reading i have read about superheroes yeah it stands out a hundred percent there's a really interesting scene where somebody tries to steal his cape and his fez which is where he gets his power And he just gives it to them. And then the cape kills the guy. But it's interesting to see a superhero who could easily take this person's gun away, you know, could do whatever. But he asks him for something and he goes, all right, like, have it. And because the person is evil and coming at him with malicious intent, the cape knows that and takes vengeance. But Kismet didn't know that that was going to happen. So I think that all of that is really just fascinating to watch. Also, we would be remiss if we did not mention that there is a queer couple in this. And their story is handled really well as well. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I love it, right? Because they're organizers with him. And they're afraid to tell him because they don't know what his response will be. And he's just like, he's so happy about it. And is just like, oh my God, like, that's great. You didn't have to lie. And I'm so sorry I was viewing you suspiciously because I knew you were hiding something. (laughs) If I knew it was this, I would have been so happy, you know, like, thank you so much for trusting me enough to tell me. Basically responded the exact way that you would have to. Like tears in my eyes that part was so significant honestly just a beautiful comic and it's political questions i think are very interesting and even though tied to their time i think we're going to be able to read this in a hundred years and say yeah i mean that's not only an important history capsule but it's also a great question about what our responsibilities are know it's a wild wild world out there and that we're all just doing the best we can to get through this difficult time where things are changing and and there's a lot of grief going on so in an effort to keep things light and also give you something to occupy your time this thursday april 2nd at 6 p.m mountain 8 p.m eastern google the rest i don't know 
We're going to be watching Into the Spider-Verse with our friends at the Good, the Bad, the Basic pod. We're going to be live tweeting. We'll also have a private watch party. So for those of you who don't feel like showing it all out for Twitter, or if you're not on Twitter, you can find us, though, at, at Bitches on Comics at Twitter and at the Good Bad Basic on Twitter. And we will also have a note on our website at bitchesoncomics.com. So join us on this Thursday, 6 p.m. Mountain, 8 p.m. Easter for Into the Spider-Verse. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Anna Sheridan, New York Times bestselling author of Supernatural Horror. Missing for nearly six months now. That's not possible. Is the compass broken? Or did I turn to the Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierce the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal. 700 meters. Closing fast. There's no place for ghost stories and close encounters in this investigation or any other. I need you to find me. Of course. What else would it be? The Sheridan Tapes, a serialized horror mystery podcast. Stream the complete series today on Realm and on all podcasting platforms.